Thank you, Jonathan. It's an, it's an honor to be here with you today. Uh, I, you know, want, want to share about the restoration of the Tabernacle of David today. I know that all of you, like me, we want to be a part of what God is doing. We want to fulfill God's purpose for our life. We want to find out what his will is and enter into that. And there's a couple ways to do that. One is we can do what we want and ask God to bless it which is not usually the best option. Number two, we can try to figure out exactly what it is that God wants us to do and stress about making sure we're exactly in the will of God. Or, or number three, third option I've discovered that's pretty amazing is we can find out what God is doing and then we can join in with what God is doing and we find ourselves swept up into our purpose and our destiny and the God's will for our lives. And so one of the things God is doing in this generation is he's restoring the tabernacle of David. And uh, so that's what I want to talk about today. Amos 9:11. It's kind of a key verse here. It says on that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. So I'm going to give kind of a little flyby of the tabernacle of David and its restoration. I'm going to go back to what it was during David's day, and we're going to zoom all the way forward to what God's doing right now uh, in this day. And so it's going to be a flyby, but there's a lot that I hope will just provoke you and stir you so that you'll actually dive into this uh, more and understand what it is God's done and what he's doing on this topic. So a lot of people in the church actually aren't even familiar with David's tabernacle or David's tents, you know, Believers maybe are familiar, more familiar with Moses's tabernacle, which is, you know, the portable tabernacle that was carried through the promised land by God's people. You know, it has the different rooms. Maybe you've seen the different furniture. You've read through Numbers and Leviticus and gotten bored reading all the procedures and policies and the priestly duties. And they were offering animal sacrifices and all of that. That was Moses's tabernacle. Some people are familiar with uh, Solomon's temple, which was the permanent structure that was built in Jerusalem uh, as a place of ministry to the Lord. But in between that, there was this phase where 33 years while David was king, he set up a third tabernacle uh, when it was a tent in Jerusalem. And so I want to talk about what was David's tabernacle? How was it a little bit different? And interestingly, you know, Amos says that God's going to rebuild the tabernacle of David, but he never says that he's going to rebuild Moses's tabernacle or Solomon's temple. It's specifically David's tabernacle that's going to be restored. In Acts chapter 15, James quotes it. Why does he pull out this random verse out of Amos chapter 911? It's at the Jerusalem Council, one of the most pivotal moments of early Christian history where they're, they're making big decisions. Amos pulls out this random verse out of Amos 9:11 in Acts chapter 15 and says, this is what God is doing. Why did he do that? And why is this topic of the tabernacle of David starting to come back to the church, especially really the last 70 years, this message of the restoration of the tabernacle of David, why did it start percolating in the 1950s? And why is it accelerating and, and, and becoming more and more prominent even in the last 20 years, even the last five or seven years. And so that's a lot of questions to answer, but bear with me and, and, we'll, uh, and we'll, we'll track here together. So I want to go back and, and start with David. What was the tabernacle of David? Like I said, they had the tabernacle of Moses, 
Uh, and in the center of that, as, as some of you will know, uh, there was the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. That was the manifest presence of God. That was where God's glory rested. Now, when King David became king, he set up Jerusalem as the new capital, and he took the Ark of the Covenant, and he carried it into the city of Jerusalem, and he built a tent. And as far as we know, it was a simple, primitive tent. There's no details on how any rooms or any fancy furniture or any decor. As far as we know, it was a simple tent. He brought the ark, the presence of God, set it up in this simple tent. You read about it in First Chronicles if you want to study it. I'm going to just kind of give you the overview. You can trust me here. But David brings in the ark of the covenant, sets it in a tent in Jerusalem, and he hosts the presence of God for 33 years. He assigns the Levites and the priest to be around the Ark of the Covenant, to minister to God, uh, specifically with praise, with music, uh, which was totally different. So Solomon's tabernacle, I mean, excuse me, Moses's tabernacle is actually still in the town of Gibeon without the Ark in it. David's tabernacle is in Jerusalem with the presence of God and the glory of God at the same time. And David takes the presence of God and he becomes king and he says, my first priority is to get the presence of God into the center of the life of, of this nation and the center of my government and this kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, uh, to take the presence of God and bring it here. And there's so many things about what David did that are just profound. But one of them is that he took music and praise and worship and he, he began to train the Levites to offer songs and music and praise as a priestly ministry to God. And that was unheard of. That's pretty normal for us as Christians. We worship and we sing and we praise God and, and, and we minister to the Lord that way. But that was totally foreign. David was the first one who, who began to do that. The other thing that was crazy is as far as we can tell, the, the, ta the tent of David was just open. The, the Ark of the Covenant was right there. The Levites were ministering right before the Ark of God, that there was access to the presence of God. And this was totally profound, totally different than Moses' tabernacle, that there was this access to God's presence. There was this day and night song that was happening. Uh, the musicians, the Levites were trained prophetically to hear the voice of God, to release the song of the Lord. They were interceding for their nation day and night. There were those who were in the, up in the middle of the night who were singing and praising God. And it created an environment in Israel of the presence of God being hosted there. And it overflowed into the kingdom. And it, it really meant that David's reign in Israel was like the glory days of Israel. I mean, David is sort of the, the, the high watermark, you know, of Israel's history, his rule and reign. And at the center of it, what a lot of people don't realize was day and night worship and prayer and the presence of God, the ark of God right in the center of it all. And, and, and what David understood was that out of the overflow of God's presence, that God's kingdom would be manifest. David understood that there was this relationship between priestly ministry and kingly ministry. Uh, and so David's one of the few people. He was king, but he also acted as a priest. And those were separate uh, throughout Israel's history. You had kings and you had priests. But David began to blend these two things together in a profound way because he had insight into 
the heavenly reality, the heavenly throne room. And so what David actually did is he brought heaven to earth. And so there's these amazing parallels between Revelation 4 and 5, where John sees the throne room of heaven and David's tabernacle. And I don't have time to get into it a lot, but what I want you to understand is David saw the throne of God. He saw the four living creatures that were gathered. He saw the 24 elders where it says that they never ceased to worship day and night. He saw those elders that were holding harps, these musical instruments and these bowls of, of intercession, these prayers. And he, and he brought that reality to, to Israel. And he set up 24 chief musicians in the tabernacle of David, just like there's 24 elders in heaven. And he gave them instruments and they'd never had instruments before. And he told them to sing day and night, which they had never done before. And so as he's beginning to take what he sees in heaven and begins to, to do it on the earth, the glory of God comes, the presence of God comes. And so the, the throne room of God in heaven is not just a throne room. It's not just a governmental center, but it's a worship center, right? It's a sanctuary. It's a tabernacle. And so David realized, wow, in heaven, these two realities are the same thing. This priestly reality of worship and prayer and ministry to the Lord and this kingly reality of government and God's power and God's authority and his rule and his reign, that those are the same, that those flow together in God. And David said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring that to Israel. And God's kingdom began to manifest in Israel. It's amazing. He was so ahead of his time. <laughs> And so David begins to operate this. And for 33 years, the same, same number of years that Jesus was on the earth, David operated this tabernacle of David, this simple tent. And it was about God's presence. It was about ministry to the Lord. And it was about heaven on the earth. And he was operating in this Melchizedek priesthood where the priestly and the kingly were flowing together. And it was prophesying of Jesus. And it was prophesying of the church. And that is the tabernacle that God has promised in Amos 9:11. He says, I'm going to restore the tabernacle of David. And that's what the tabernacle of David was. And so David finishes his reign and he passes the kingdom off to Solomon. Solomon, you know, he does okay for a while and then he flubs things up. And uh, you guys probably know, know the story. Um, and then Amos prophesies, couple hundred years after David, uh, it's estimated that, you know, Amos 9:11. on that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 16, 5. Another prophecy that mentions the tabernacle of David says, in mercy, the throne will be established and one will sit on it in truth in the tabernacle of David judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. So Isaiah is prophesying of this Messiah who would come and rule and reign on his throne, but he would be sitting in the tabernacle of David. And, uh, and so I want to sort of go through history here. And it's interesting when you look throughout Israel's you know, history and you study the progression, of course, uh, you'll see that they were up and down. They would follow the Lord and be faithful, and then they would turn away. And if you go through Kings and Chronicles and you see, oh, this generation followed the Lord. They sought him. They repented. They tore down the idols. And then the next generation, it was downhill, you know, and they turned back to their wicked ways. And so there's sort of this up and down of revival 
and uh, throughout Israel's history. And, and, and when these revivals would happen in Israel's history, uh, most of the major ones, they would go back and they would return to the worship that David had established in David's tabernacle. I'll, I'll just mention a couple of them here. Hezekiah, uh, you know, this is hundreds of years after David in 2 Chronicles 29 and 30. Hezekiah brings Israel back to seeking the Lord and he restores worship according to David. David's name's mentioned when you read these stories. He set the Levites back up. The music and the worship was going again. Josiah in 2 Chronicles 34, 35. Uh, restores Davidic worship, the worship, the way David was doing it in his tabernacle. Uh, Nehemiah and Ezra and Ezra 3 and Nehemiah 12, they, they did the same thing. They restored this Davidic worship. And so throughout Israel's history, when they would return to God, there was also this restoration of the tabernacle of David, this restoration of worship, the way David did it and the way he instituted it in his tabernacle. And so this is all after Amos has already prophesied that God's going to restore the tabernacle of David. So I want to talk about that restoration, what that means, because there's some debate over this. And for those of you who, who go and study this, you'll, you'll likely find a couple of interpretations of Amos 9-11. One is that the restoration of the tabernacle of David is about the lineage of David. It's about Jesus and coming, sitting on his throne, God's going to put the son of David on the throne of David to rule and to reign and establish his kingdom on the earth. And if you go and look at a bunch of old commentaries, that's probably what you're going to find. And then there's this other idea that the restoration of the tabernacle of David is all about musical worship, you know, worshiping the way David did it. It's all about the music and the praise and the worship and the songs and all of that. And that's, you know, typically, especially in modern charismatic church world, that's the, that's the interpretation of this, of this that you'll get. And so there's, there's some debate over that uh, in some ways on what the restoration of the tabernacle of David is. But the truth is, it's actually both. It's actually both because the tabernacle is that God rules and reigns in the midst of day and night worship and prayer. That it's both, that the kingdom of God is executed in the context of priestly ministry. That those who gather around the throne of God are worshipers, they're musicians, they're intercessors. And though that is the context in which God's kingdom is executed. And so it's actually both. It is about Jesus coming to rule and to reign. It's about his kingdom coming to earth. It's about the throne of David being occupied by Jesus Christ coming and, and sitting on the throne, but it's understanding the way God's kingdom operates is that his kingdom advances out of the overflow of ministry to him, that the intimacy with Jesus, his presence, worship and prayer, being with him, that is the source of the, the kingdom of God advancing. When God comes, his kingdom comes. When the king comes, the kingdom advances. David understood that, that if, if God is here, he's going to confront darkness, right? When the light comes, darkness is going to be confronted. Demonic powers are going to be confronted. Sickness is going to be confronted by healing, right? Lostness is going to be confronted by salvation. 
Things are going to be restored, made whole, made right, because that's what God does. And so David said, we, we, we got to get God. And if God is here, his kingdom is going to be here because that's where he rules and reigns. And so the restoration of the tabernacle of David is both priestly and it's kingly. And so throughout Israel's history, there was this priestly restoration of worship. They would go back and do worship the way that David did it. Hey, Matthew. And then, uh, yes, Matthew, sir. Just give me one second. We're just getting some pops. I think it's from your microphone. Um, oh, okay. Just, um, I don't know if you can uh, just adjust it or just take one second, see if we can yeah, fix give me, it. Before. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, give me just a second. Is that any different or is it still popping? That is much better. Thank you, sir. Sorry to interrupt okay. you. You're no, you're good. Doing great. Thank, <laughs> thank, you for, thank you for interrupting. No, that's great. Um, okay, cool. Um, I, I know I'm going fast. I feel like I'm going fast. I want to I I get through this here. Um, so we're, we're going throughout history. We've got David, the Old Testament. There's these revivals of Davidic worship of the tabernacle of David. We get to the New Testament. And like I said, in Acts chapter 15, we have this stunning moment where God has been pouring out his spirit, the church has been birthed, and the Gentiles, the, the, the nations are beginning to get filled with the spirit of God. And there's this controversy over what do we do with the nations, the Gentile peoples who are coming into the church and following Jesus. And as they have this Jerusalem council the, in Acts chapter 15 to figure out what to do, James stands up and quotes Amos 9-11, and it settles the issue. <laughs> he stands up in Acts 15. I'm going to start at verse 14. It says, Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. So James stands up and says, God's pouring out his spirit on the nations, not just the Jewish people, and this is the restoration of the tabernacle of David. And he says, God is restoring the tabernacle of David. Why? So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. That's what it says there, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. James says this, rest, this tabernacle of David thing is not just for Israel. This is for the nations. What David did in a limited geography, Jesus is doing in the nations of the earth. Where David set up day and night worship and prayer in Jerusalem so that the nation of Israel could come under the kingdom of God, the presence of God, the glory of God. And, and his will could begin to be manifest there. Jesus is now going to fill the earth with day and night worship and prayer, and it's going to release his kingdom. There's going to be the, the gospel is going to go forth so that all of mankind may seek the Lord. So James says this, this tabernacle of David restorations connected to the great commission and the gospel going to the ends of the earth and the nations turning their hearts to Jesus. This is stunning. This is huge. It's kind of a big deal uh, that, that God is doing this, you know. 
And so, so this tabernacle of David, this open openness, this access to the presence of God that David created in Israel, Jesus has now torn the veil, right? He's, there's access to the presence of God. There's an invitation to all mankind to come follow Jesus, put their faith in him. Everyone can be restored. Anyone that there's an open invitation. The tabernacle of David is saying, listen, God has made a way through Jesus Christ, come into the presence of God. And so God's people now all over the earth are raising up day and night worship and prayer, uh, creating an open heaven for, for the presence of God and inviting the nations into to come and to join in, come into the presence of God with us, come into his glory with us. The, the veil's been torn. There's access to the presence of God and God's kingdom's advancing. Missions is advancing on the earth like never before. And so David's, uh, excuse me, the Old Testament sort of focusing on this priestly aspect of the tabernacle of David, where it's about the music and the worship and the praise and the intercession. And the New Testament begins to highlight this kingly dimension, this apostolic dimension to the restoration of the tabernacle of David. And the truth is both of those go together. That's the revelation. That's the reality that out of the overflow of ministry to the Lord, we minister to others. That as the presence of God comes, when the king comes, the kingdom begins to come. And, uh, and so that's, that's the, uh, you know, what, what we begin to see develop in the New Testament um, in Acts chapter 15. Real quickly, uh, I want to I kind of finish up with this. So I believe that we are experiencing just an increase of this. We have been since the time of Jesus, since the time of Acts 15 that God is continuing to restore the tabernacle of David. And we'll continue to do that, you know, as, as we lead towards the return of Jesus to the earth again. Uh, but there's just been this interesting development as I've studied this topic and, and it's been a passion of my heart, the tabernacle of David and the, its restoration for years. Now I began to look up uh, when this teaching began to originate in recent times. And what I found was, <clears throat> excuse me, what I found was, was very interesting that around the 1950s is when this teaching started percolating in the body of Christ. And then in the 60s, 70s, there were a couple of books written on the topic by Kevin Connor and Graham, uh, Graham Truscott. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and then, it, you know, this teaching has grown and grown and grown. And in recent years, even more so. Um, but I said, God, why, why was it that you begin to restore this desire for understanding the tabernacle of David. And, uh, and so I just want to submit a possibility to you. If you go back and look at Amos 9, the original prophecy of the restoration of tabernacle of David, in verse 15, it says, I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I've given them, says the Lord your God. And so the context of Amos 9 is, a global revival it says, behold, the days are coming when the plowman will overtake the reaper, the treader of grapes, him who sows seeds, the mountains will drip with sweet wine. The hills will flow with it. God's going to pour out his spirit. There's going to be a harvest. And it's talking about Israel being restored to their land. And so I said, oh my goodness, till 1948, something profound happened as Israel began to come back to their land. I said, God, are, are we in a unique time of history right now where 
we, we can look at Amos chapter nine and see another layer being fulfilled like we've never seen before. And so I want to submit to you that, that perhaps we are in a unique time in history where we are seeing Amos nine unfold in, in a fresh way before our eyes. It was in, unfolding in Acts 15 in a fresh way. And I believe it's unfolding right now in a fresh way in the last 70 years, and, and now even in the last 20 years in a fresh way, as we're seeing an explosion of day and night worship and prayer all over the earth. You know, there's an estimated 20,000 groups right now praying 24-7 all over the earth. That's incredible. There's an estimated 20,000 groups praying 24-7 around the world. And uh, you guys are on this call. There's 24-7 worship happening this week. I know of at least two other groups that are doing this exact same thing leading up to Pentecost, and there's probably dozens more that are hosting these special times. Uh, but not only is day and night worship and prayer exploding, but the, the missions movement is exploding all over the earth. Unreached people groups are hearing the gospel like never before. It's possible that every people group will be reached soon in the coming years. And, uh, and, and I believe that, uh, that we're seeing some of the things that God has promised unfold right before our eyes. And so I'm excited, and I just want to encourage you with that and uh, hopefully stir your heart, um, especially to, uh, to enter into what David entered into, to prioritize our lives around the presence of God, to set a priority of ministry to the Lord. I know you guys are on a prayer, 10-day prayer meeting, so, you, so I'm probably preaching to the choir a little bit here, <laughs> but to prioritize worship the way David did it, the way... It's happening in heaven right now uh, to, to give energy towards it, to our personal lives, our, our ministries, our church expressions, to say, God, how are you wanting to do this? And I believe David tapped into that in a special way. And I believe uh, we can all enter into this by prioritizing the presence of God in our lives, ministering to the Lord with worship and prayer and engaging in his in missions and his purposes to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. And, uh, and so I want to urge you to do that. I got a minute, I think here, I'm going to, I'm going to just pray. God, we, uh, we love you so much. Jesus, thank you that we get to be a part of what you are doing. And we just take a moment right now and we just say, God, we want to be a part of what you are doing. We thank you for loving us and pursuing us. But Jesus, we just say, catch us up in your story. Catch us up in your purposes, what you're doing right now. Why are we on the earth right now in 2020? And I pray that, that you would speak clearly to each one of us, how you would have us engage and respond to you and what you're doing in this hour of history. God, would you draw our hearts to you in a fresh way to love you, to worship you with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. May your presence take center place in the church again in a, in a new way, Lord, that your kingdom would come on the earth as in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.